part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Uh, We're in the book of Jonah. Uh, If you weren't with us last week, we began going through kind of verse by verse. It may take us four or five, six weeks to go through. I'm not in a hurry to try to accomplish uh, any task, and, and, and if it takes the whole summer, great. But I'm going to do a quick review. But I do want, kind of want to point out, again, for those that may not have been here uh, just a second ago, if you just walked in, this is one of those sermons that truly is one of those that you're going, I wish fill-in-the-blank was here. Because you're going to hear some truths about rebellion, three different truths about rebellion. And we all have rebellious hearts at time to time. And yet when we start talking about rebellion, what really first comes to our mind is other people in our lives. We don't always see our own rebellion because sometimes it's one of those things maybe it's hidden from us. We just haven't been, uh, you know, uh, in the Word or in prayer to where God has opened our eyes to it. Sometimes it's just pure denial. And, uh, and a lot of it has to do with the whole way of that, that we kind of think that we're good with God. And that is, well, I know I'm bad, but at least I'm not as bad as, again, fill in the blank. That's not how it works, guys. You're never going to find that kind of scale in the Bible. It's all by the grace of God. It's the finished work of Christ that was completed by the work that he did. And so that's what makes grace so amazing. But it also makes grace one of those things that's kind of hard to understand. Well, that was Jonah's problem. He wanted God's grace in his own life. But when it came to the Ninevites, these people that were the sworn enemies of the nation that he was from, Israel, he didn't want grace for them. They were wicked people. As we said last week, Ninevites were known throughout the world, throughout the known world for their wickedness. They, uh, you know, they would just do evil things. I mean, some of the stories and some of the, the, uh, the pictures that we have from that establishment from, from way back, the, the Ninevites, I'm not trying to be gross, and I'm certainly not trying to use this to, to sensationalize, but just to give you kind of the mindset, they would bury people alive up to their neck. And then they would take their tongue out and put a stake in there, and they would basically thirst it. I mean, this is evil. And again, I'm not trying to be, I know that was graphic. I'm not trying to be graphic for that purpose. That's just kind of people. And so all of a sudden, you know, Jonah <laughs> is given this word from the Lord. We saw in verse 1 that he's given an undeniable word from the God. Go tell these people, preach the sermon to them. He doesn't say you're responsible for the results. He doesn't say, you know, he's responsible for anything. You just go preach what I tell you to preach. That's all you've got to do, Jonah. And we see this rebellion in Jonah's life because he does not like the Ninevites. You could call it patriotism because the Israelites did not like the Assyrians and, and anybody associated with it. They did just did not like them. You could say, well, maybe it was a, a righteous indignation. He knew that these were evil people, and so he's standing up for justice. Guys, there's all kinds of different things that could have come into the mind and the heart of Jonah. But none of them are an excuse for what we see in that verse 1. The simplicity of verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, go. And so when we see that, last week, remember, if you were here, we talked about there's a difference between ignorance and rebellion. You, you deal with those entirely two different ways with your children. Ignorance, you inform. Rebellion, you correct and you discipline. And so what we see here is from the establishment of verse 1, we see without a doubt that this is rebellion. 
I, I don't know that there would be anybody that would study this passage, look at verses 1 and 2, and walk away, you know, I'm not so sure that Jonah really knew what he was supposed to do. You read verse 1 and 2, and why it's established from the very beginning, Jonah is clear. He's a prophet of God. His whole job, if you want to say, job description, number one under job description, you say the things that God wants you to say. You, you go and tell the people that God wants you to tell. Number one under job description of prophet of God. And so we can't get away by saying, okay, you know, I'm thinking that Jonah's maybe just a little bit unclear. He's a little bit fuzzy of what he's supposed to do. No, he's very clear. And it's established right there from the beginning. And we cheated last week. We looked ahead in chapter 4. Because chapter 4 has a verse in there. It actually has two verses that really reveal Jonah's heart. And we see what the real problem was. Folks, a lot of people say, well, I I imagine that Jonah was really scared because these people were really frightening. Yes, there's some human fear in a lot of things that we do. Attended a beautiful, beautiful wedding last night. And these two kids love Christ well. They are going to be a beautiful display. Their marriage is going to be a beautiful display of the gospel. But to say that they weren't somewhat fearful, you know, to have to go in there and you have this covenant for the rest of your life, you approach anything serious with a proper amount of fear. Proper amount of fear is kind of good. Keep your eyes open. And so we can start making excuses for Jonah And yet the book of Jonah does not really allow us. The writing does not allow us to give that to him. We we see his heart. Jonah 4, 2. Jonah's own words. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, he's talking about God, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He said, I I knew that if the Ninevites really did repent, if they really did turn away from their evilness, if they listened to this sermon and they actually turned their hearts and their lives to you, that you would forgive them. I know that's the kind of God that you are. And God, I disagree. God, I disagree. Folks, as I said in my prayer, is there a more arrogant thought that we could have in humanity than to really disagree with God? I mean, I can't think. I mean, there are a lot of shameful things. There's commandments that we have. Don't do this, do this, don't do that. But can you think of anything more arrogant than a created one saying to the one that created them, you're wrong. The unholy saying to the holy, you're wrong. The imperfect and the sinful saying to the perfect one, you're wrong. And yet we do it all the time. I mean, maybe not on a daily basis, hopefully not on a daily basis, but there are times that in our ignorance, sometimes we disagree with God, but then other times it comes down to the here, where God has just flat out said, this is what the Scripture says. Guys, I would suggest that you would pray about a lot of things, but there are some things I can clearly from Scripture say, you don't even have to pray about that. had a guy come to me years ago. He said, I've fallen in love with another woman. This other woman was not his wife. And he said, I just, you know, I, I think God wants me to be happy. And, you know, the, I, I don't have a happy marriage. And, and, and he started going through this. And I said, well, wait, time out. This is not, we don't even have to pray about this. Now, we have to pray for strength and for clarity for you to be able to do what God has called you. But, but this is just clear. This is not God's will. But it feels so You know, 
and I say this in all honesty and all sincerity, guys, with depth of conviction. And on a lot of tombstones, we could write it, but it felt so right. Just because it feels right does not mean that it is the redeeming way of Christ. It does not mean that it gives life, it takes life away. And here we see that this rebellion is not ignorance. This is rebellion. We could try to justify it by all these human excuses basically what it comes down to. Jonah knows what his job is. He knows what his, the call of God is. And he just says, I disagree. And we began to see last week in verse 3 some of the consequences for that. Look again at verse 3 and then we'll get into uh, this week's sermon. But Jonah, again, what was the first word there? But here's what God said in a definitive way. And then we have this kind of counteraction by Jonah. But Jonah, might as well say, but Bobby, but fill in the blank with your name because there's a lot of times God has been definitive and yet we try to put a but there. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it and go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. We said last week, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, twice mentions going away from the presence of the Lord. That's just the beginning of the truth of rebellion. And this morning I'm going to share with you three different truths about, rebel, about rebellion, characteristics of rebellion that are true for you and I. They were true for Jonah. They would be true for anybody when we stand in rebellion against the things that we just know clearly that God has called us to. And so this morning, just kind of stay with me three things. When we get to that third one, you know that the sermon's almost over. And you're going to get out of here really quick, you know, after that. So, so you know, you can count them off and check them off. And finally, point three. Point number one. Or truth number one. Who will read that for me? Just somebody read that out. There will always be a ship sailing away from God. Do you believe that truth? But we see it in verse 3, remember? He goes down. He's told to go to where? To Nineveh. But he goes down to the seaport. I've actually been to that seaport. And, and, and there's actually more than one ship. There is one going to, uh, to Nineveh. In other words, there's opportunity for him to be obedient. But guess what? There's also other ships. And some of them may be doing, you know, a day cruise. Okay, we're going to take you and feed you lunch. We'll bring you back. But there's one that's going to Tarshish. Tarshish, some say it was 1,500 miles away. Others would say 2,000 miles away. Some have speculated there could be as much as 2,500 miles away. All we know, for the most part, is that a long, long, long way away, it was in the opposite direction of Nineveh, and it was really, for the most part, the farthest part of the known world away from them. And so you get there, you go down the port, and, and you look up there on the thing, okay, tickets for sale. Okay, Nineveh. Oh, man, there's one for Tarsus. And he sees this one for Tarsus, and he decides that's the one he wants. Truth number one in, in our rebellion, guys, when we find ourselves in disagreement with God, there will always be a ship. I promise you, there will always be a ship sailing in the opposite direction. See, one of the things that we have to remember is as strong as the Word of God is, we are in a battle. And in fact, we're in a double-fold battle, guys. We, we have one, one of the battlegrounds is our own flesh, our own 
finite mind, you know, our, our, our mind that can not comprehend everything, that's kind of limited in its knowledge. And so some of the stuff that we fight in our lives is just, you know, we don't like it. But we have an adversary. We have one that is actually scheming, as it would say in the Bible, against us, one that is lying, trying to get us to trip up. And I promise you guys, when we minimize, I, I, don't want to, I think we do two things when it comes to spiritual warfare that are in error. I think we minimize it. I think we maximize it. Number one, if we maximize it, we think somehow Satan is, is more authoritative or has more power than God. He doesn't. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Okay? Christ has won the victory. So we have victory on our side. But the other fault that we can do is sometimes minimize that and say, well, you know, I just don't believe in that, all that spiritual mumbo-gumbo and kind of, you know, is there really a devil? Well, Christ said that there was. You're not arguing with me. You're not arguing with theologians. You are arguing with Christ. He speaks of Satan directly. The New Testament writers are, are very clear about that we have this adversary And so one of the things that we begin to see here is not only is there always going to be a Tarshish in our lives, but there really is one who is crafting and scheming to make that looking more and more and more attractive. I mean, fill in the blank and fill in the situation. There will always be a ship sailing. There will always be a pretty girl. There will always be a handsome guy. There will always, you know, the the many your husband's not listening, there, there will be somebody at work that has a listening ear. It happens, guys. It it may not happen that day, but it's going to present itself. You have financial troubles? There will be a ship sailing to a place where you can get easy money or the easy fix, whether it's legal or illegal. Any sin, any place where God says, trust me, I promise you, there's a ship sailing in the opposite direction. And yet, it's a tough fight because already we are limited. We have one fight with the flesh, our own fight. And then we have this schemer, this liar, Satan, who's also putting things there. And it seems like, oh, my goodness, this is just, I'm helpless. No, it's not the word of God that tells us. Do you believe that Jonah really was helpless about which way that he was going to go? He just didn't want to. He just disagreed with God that much. There was a choice there. And he made the wrong choice. Another thing to to warn about, don't be surprised if friends, even Christian friends, sometimes because of their so-called love for you, kind of side with you, even if it is something that is rebellious against God. Well, I don't think you should forgive him. What he did was unforgivable. And yet the word of God says you forgive as you've been forgiven. So we have this claim of Christ. We have this commandment. And we can either agree or disagree. But don't be surprised sometimes that even Christian friends, sometimes because of their so-called love for you, and they just want to support you. It's a misguided love. Because they're picking you over the will of God. That's a dangerous place to be. And I pray that you would never be a friend that would give that counsel. I've been there before. I mean, as a pastor, you get it all the time. You have people coming, and and sometimes I've offended people and hurt people's feelings, not intentionally, not on purpose. But are we going to speak truth and love? Are we just going to love somebody, 
give them, allow them to, to go to Tarshish when we know in our hearts they need to be going to Nineveh. I get it, guys. I get it. And yet what we, one thing that we begin to see here is that the very community of faith that God has sometimes surrounded us with to help us to say, Nineveh, Nineveh. Sometimes in our lack of true love, well, Tarshish doesn't sound so bad. I can see where you'd go to Tarshish. He should not have done that. She should not have done that. That pastor should not have said that. I can see where you want to leave that church. Guys, I, I can just start going up and down the list. Truth number one, there will always, always be a ship sailing away from the Lord. First Peter 5.8 The instruction, the command of God, be sober-minded. He's writing to Christians. Be sober-minded. That means be clear-thinking. Be watchful. It's actually a term used in the military that you're on point. If you're, if it, if you're doing the shift between this time and this time, that's the word that's used. Be watchful. It wasn't just, okay, kind of keep your eyes open. No. It means that you are the soldier on duty to watch for the enemy. That's the word that he gives us there. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. It's the same kind of watchfulness that I have. We've been painting up here. We know that we have two resident snakes. I promise you, every time I turn the corner, I look, and then I proceed. I don't like snakes, even the supposed good ones, okay? Okay, so I have a heightened awareness. I know that there's an adversary, <laughs> and so I'm looking for it. I just don't want to be surprised. And so it's one of those things. You have that heightened awareness. That's what the Bible tells us. As Christians, he said, this is your life. You are on watch. You watch this. You watch this. You stand point. Men, husbands, and fathers, I believe a double call. As leaders of our home, as, as a commandment to lead our home, we're, we are point man. We're point man. And we lead the way. We're on watch for our children and for our wives. Truth number two. Who will read that for me? Somebody else. I'll get back to you in just a second. Brandon. Brandon. Ah, you, you. There's two yous up there. Didn't see that, did you? Didn't see that, did you? Really not trying to be a gimmicky here because I don't like gimmicks. But how deceptive that is. Now, I called Carly in this morning. I said, do you, do you see the double U's there? And she did. She read right through it just like you did, just like Brandon. And she just read because her mind perceives one thing. This is what it's supposed to say. And so we kind of just skipped one of those U's. But by the third time, Radley's going, okay, I'm kind of watchful now. There's a point. You know, three strikes, you're out. I don't want to be that third guy. And so he gets, you know, he looks, oh, wait, there's two U's. Not trying to be funny. Not trying to be gimmicky. It's deceptive, guys. Would you say clearly that there's two U's up there? 
And once you see it, it's as clear as day. And yet when we just kind of are going and we're not watchful, as we're just instructed, all of a sudden, boom, that deception, that, that scheme, I plotted that, okay? Hopefully not deceptively, but, you know, I had a purpose in that. And I promise you, Satan has a purpose, guys. He just has a purpose. You may, uh, truth number two, you may sin in private, but you will never sin in isolation. Perhaps one of the greatest lies, that something that I do in the privacy of my home, in the privacy of my closet, in the privacy of the downstairs, whatever, that somehow that does not affect the rest of my family. Oh, guys, what a lie. What a lie. You may sin in private. You may be the only one in that room, the only one in that house, the only one in that neighborhood, but you do not sin in isolation. Our sins do affect those that are around us. I don't use the words dumb and stupid purposely in, 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 in uh, sermons because I know some people have offense at those words. Here, but I was going to say... I will use dumb today because this is dumb. This thought process is dumb on two counts. Number one, it's not true. There will always be others affected by our sin. Number two, it's not nearly as heroic as it sounds. In some way, well, I can take it. You put, the, you know, my sin, my call. There's, there's kind of a little bit of a hint of a heroic nature when we take on this mindset. Oh, I can take what's coming to me. There's nothing heroic about this, guys. There's nothing heroic about that. Look at verse 4 and 5. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, that is the sailors, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They were pagans. They believed in a lot of different gods. They started calling out to all these different gods. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Jonah's rebellion, is it contained just to him as far as calls? What did Jesus cost these sailors? Yeah, their paycheck. They're getting paid. You, you take this box. I mean, this is early UPS. You know, this is, you know, they, you take this box and, and you take it to this place. That's their paycheck, guys. And all of a sudden, this storm comes up. Waves are coming. These are experienced Phoenician sailors. These guys know the waters. Have you ever watched the Alaskan crab guys up there? You know, these are not guys that just, you know, get one little wave and they run inside. These guys, you know, big old waves coming over the boat, and they're out there still doing their job. That's these guys. They're Phoenician sailors. They are excellent. They're the top of the game. And yet this happens, and they know enough about the seriousness of the storm. They just said, you know, one way that we might be able to ride this out is if we lighten the load. And so they start throwing cargo, their own paychecks, over, overboard. But they soon find out that that's not enough. Not only is it going to cost them their paycheck, it may cost them their lives. There's probably nothing more selfish in our lives than to believe that we sin and I
maybe the most arrogant thought, God, I disagree with you, the most absurd thought that we could ever have, hey, when I sin, it only affects me. Wrong thinking. Truth is, the more people have, you have around you and under you, the more consequences, the more effect that it has. Pastor, my sin, truly, I believe, has great effect. Father, mother, has great effect. CEO, has great effect. Teacher, coach, great effect. The more people that you have around you, the more people you have under you, the more responsibility that your personal sin is going to have a direct effect on them. The lie is I can sin in isolation. It doesn't affect this or that and the other. And folks, it is a lie. It's simply what it is. It is a lie. I've done a lot of counseling in these 35 years. And there's nothing more heartbreaking, nothing more heartbreaking than talking to a 15-year-old who's grown up in this kind of household and to see where the sins of the mother and the father have now warped that mind into a certain way of thinking, whether they're 15, 18, 21, 25, and now they're making choices based on that kind of a mentality. It's not true, guys. We, do not, we may sin in private, but we do not sin in isolation. And Jonah's going down here. In fact, one of the great things, the literary form of this book, is it is masterful in its use of words. The word that you see, uh, look at the word down. He uses that repeatedly. Uh, in verse 3, he goes down to Joppa. And we see a little bit more that he went down into the ship. And then he laid down to sleep. That's not just because the guy didn't have you know, a very limited language and he only had a couple words. No, he's trying to show us. Anytime that you see a word repeated in the word of God. Take note if it's repeated three times. Take special note. If it's repeated more than that, take special, special note. If you've never done K. Arthur or some of those things, those, you know, she teaches you to start looking for those kind of things. It's just good handling of the word of God. Well, here we see this down, down, down. We see this downward spiral. And, and not only is it happening to Jonah, but who's it happening to? The crew. I mean, you can say, well, they're a pagan crew. They're not God-fearers. When you read the rest of the story of chapter 1, they showed more fear of God than Jonah did. They really did. Will you cry out to your God? Look at verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God uh, will give you a thought, for, a thought to us that we may not perish. Everybody was praying out to their gods. They had multiple gods. And he said, may you pray out to your God, you sleeper. Why are you down here sleeping? There's probably a whole other point there that sometimes in our sin, we have this sleepiness that comes around physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. We'll save that for another day. The crew on deck is scared to death. They begin to ask everybody to pray. They begin to discern that this is not a normal storm. Even these pagan people, these non-people that do not believe in the one true God, begin to say, hey, there's something special about this. There's something spiritual about this storm. And even they begin to pick up on that. And that's when we see the third truth. Number three. Who wants to read that for us? Just yell it out. John. 
How many of you agree with that? How many of you have tried that? <laughs> it's an amazing thing. We've tried that. Maybe on little things, maybe on big things. But we've tried that. We've tried to run. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to run, but he can't hide. Look at verse 7 and 8. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. That was an early form of, of kind of throwing dice. They did that to discern God's will. You see that in the Old Testament? You really don't see it that much in the New Testament after Pentecost because now we have the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. But this was even used by the Israel, you know, Jewish people. So it was kind of an accepted form, you know, that they would cast lots to kind of determine things that they did not know. That's what they're doing here. Come let us cast lots so that we may know whose account this evil has come to us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. You know, he's standing there and they're going... Jonah, we keep on doing this, and every time it just keeps on pointing back to you. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Now listen to what he says, uh, what they ask. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Look at his response, verse 9. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Uh... The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He really does answer the questions except for one. What's your occupation? What's your job? Now, now, go with me, guys. Stay with me. Why would he not answer? He says he's Hebrew. He he makes a, a claim that he follows God. And I believe that there is a part of truth to that, that you look at other places in the Bible, and Jonah, for the most part, is pretty upstanding. You don't see just this long line of disobedience. And yet, in the midst of this, this sea, this tumultuous storm that's out there, they ask, what's your occupation? Where are you from? And he really, by saying that he's a Hebrew and that he fears God, he really has said, I'm from Israel, I'm a Jewish guy. And that's kind of my, you know, my background. He's answered three of those questions. But the one that he avoids is, what is your occupation? Now, I, I ask you, it never tells us why he avoided that. But why would you think, you just, I'm going to be silent for just a second. Why do you think he doesn't answer that? Yeah. I mean, what is the job of a, of a prophet? To speak the word of the Lord. The Lord gives it to you, you speak the word. You're not, you know, I'm not responsible for results. I'm not responsible. I've got one job as a prophet. God gives me the word. I speak the word. And he's running away from that. And so he's even running away. Here's what I would say, our application to us. Listen carefully. I am on very tenuous theological ground here. As I was last week. If you're a Christian, God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Even in your disobedience. Why? Because it's all finished in Christ. If you truly have put your trust in Christ, He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You do not lose your identity in Christ from God's perspective. But have you ever lost your identity in Christ from your perspective? Has there ever been sin in your life and you just don't feel like a Christian? You don't feel like the woman of God, the man of God that you've called him. He's not feeling like the man of God that God has called him to be. God has not turned his back on him. 
and God will not turn, this is not about works, and that the first really bad thing you do, God says, no, we are secure in Christ Jesus. That's the theological truth. But guys, here's what I've seen happen in my life, and I've seen it in the lives of those that, that want to follow God, and yet they get into disagreement with God. They allow sin to come in. They head for Tarshish instead of Nineveh, and all of a sudden, they're not so sure of their own identity in Christ. Do you see the difference there? One is God's perspective of you. He sees Christ. The other is your perspective of yourself in Christ. And when we're living in the midst of rebellion and sin, guys, I don't know too many people that just go around that are on fire for God when you're living in the midst of rebellion. Our whole identity is this Christ person of following Christ. It becomes cloudy. I think that's what happened here. It doesn't tell us. This is speculation. Don't say, hey, the word of God says that this was the answer why he didn't answer it. But this is what I think was going on because I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in the lives of others. What happens next? Verse 10 and 11. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He's very clear of what the problem is. Verse 11. Then they said to him, we shall do to you, what shall we do to you? That the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more to met, to met, that word right there. Tempestuous. Yes, that, that word, yeah. And I thought Tarshish was going to be hard this morning. Yeah. I want you to notice Jonah's response to their question. It reveals part of the nature that really does come out in our flesh. Verse 12, he said, he said to them, Jonah says to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Verse 12, is that true? It is. Is it noble? Or do you think that there's a false nobility about that? Is this heroic or is it a false heroic nature? Have you ever noticed this sometimes, guys? A friend, again, I told you that this is really for us. It's not for us to cast off to other people. But have you ever noticed a a friend, a family member, somebody in sin, and and, and you've tried to help them, you've tried to to, to show them the grace of God, the forgiveness, and, and yet they proceed in their sin, they continue in that way, and then sometimes they even have that attitude. Hey, it's all on me. I can handle it. Or, don't worry about me. Or, okay, you just leave me out of the family then. And somehow they become the martyr in the midst of their sin. It happens a lot. But I promise you, it is not heroic. There's nothing noble going on in one way. Yes, when they throw him in the sea, the, what does it say in the next verse? Verse uh, as you go on verse 15, so they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. He was telling the truth, and yet there's a, a hint in there. Oh, poor pitiful me. It's an amazing twist that we see in our lives sometimes. That we're the ones in rebellion, we're the ones that are running away from God, and yet somehow we try to twist the tables and we become the victim. Okay, God, if this is what you're going to do, if you're going to send me to hell, then just send me to hell. There's nothing heroic about that. 
is tragic, guys. It's tragic. And yet there's a part of our flesh, there's a part of our human understanding that actually, okay, hit me hard. End of story. And throw him in there, he drowns. End of story. Chapter 1. Three more chapters. May we never enter this pulpit, may we never preach the heaviness of sin without the hope of Christ. Because this morning, you may be saying, man, you know, Bobby, three streaks, I'm out. I, that's where I am right now. I, I do have a friend like that. As much as you said, look at our own lives, Bobby, I do have a friend. It's a son or a daughter. It's a mother or a father. It's, it's a really close friend that I love, I sincerely love, and yet I see them disagreeing with God, and I see this rebellion, and they think that they're sending in isolation, but it's affecting their whole family. And you can go right on the list, and you just, you know, as much as this is us, it's also people that we love. This chapter one, guys. And here's the hope of the gospel. Here's the hope of the gospel. For everybody in chapter one that is headed to Tarshish, when God said to go to Nineveh, that said, okay, I'm just sinning, it's only me, I will do, okay, go ahead and throw me in the hell then, who had this misguided, heroic thought. Here's the hope of the gospel. Look back at verse 4. What does it say in verse 4? But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. You can see that word hurl a lot. There's a lot of hurling going on in chapter 1, okay? Wrath or grace? The wrath of God or the grace of God? How many people believe? You've got to raise your hand on one of the two of these, okay? Make a commitment, okay? How many people believe the wrath of God? How many people believe the grace of God? How many believe the wrath and the grace of God? Yeah. It is the wrath of God. God judges sin, guys. He's holy. He does not excuse sin. listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.